church, would you stand as we sing together? Every girl. 
church this morning. We're going to teach you all a new song about the hope we have in the cross. We sing this together. Men of sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed the sin.
Here we go. Here we go. Yay, there we are. Hey, let's go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, Shelby Christian. Technical difficulties. Gosh, thanks, Ethan. I was driving in this morning, and last week we had to be in a boat, correct? And this morning we needed sunscreen, and that's how life works. And, and I'm enjoying this series that we're in, Marriage Crashers. And I had to make sure I get that right because I always think Wedding Crashers with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. And I can imagine Jesus up there as well on the cover of the, the DVD or the movie. But it seems like everything's going well and then maybe it crashes. Like last Sunday, man, we wake up and it's like there's so much water. And then we get this Sunday and there's so much sunshine. Last Saturday, I spoke at my first funeral and it happened to be my grandfather's. And I started the, the message or the funeral or the service, whatever you want to call it. And I said, I used to work with a coworker and this guy was a diehard atheist. And he told me we would, we would have religious, spiritual discussions. And he said, man, I honestly think religion was made for people to be able to cope with death. No. Jesus was made so people can handle life. There's always going to be sunshine after rain. There's always going to be a stone that was moved away after a cross. There's always going to be a sacrifice that was made for you and I. This morning, as we woke up, we're baking in the sun. We're enjoying the warmth. May we also experience the warmth and security of our Heavenly Father's, our Savior's Son as well. As we go into a time of communion and prayer, may we reflect on this. And as a flower enjoys and receives the sunlight, the blessings of that growth and renewal, may also our spirits. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. We thank you after the trials and the tribulations and the elevated waters. Your love is always there. Just like the sunshine this morning, it wraps around us. It consoles us. It consumes us. It gives us warmth. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful for the sacrifice. We're thankful for the willingness that the cross is not the end, but a stone that was rolled away in an empty tomb and him ascending to be on your right side. That's the end. May we meditate. May we pray. May we think about these, not just in this moment, but as we go forward throughout our week, and our journey. All these things we ask you in your name we pray. Amen.
hey, wasn't it awesome? Wasn't it awesome to drive to church and no rain? Wasn't it awesome to drive to church and no snow or ice and sun was shining and Bradley didn't have to turn around and go a different way to get here? Wasn't it awesome to be able to come? I mean, I am, I'm ready. I am ready for let's just go. Let's just go. Let's go. Because God's already been doing so many cool things this year. I just got to take a second or two before we start. You know that in the first two months of this year, in the middle of all the craziness, we've already had 41 new members in the first two months of this year. That's incredible to me. That's incredible to me. Uh, people getting baptized. This is a, this has never happened in the history of my life in ministry. People calling the church going, Hey, would it be okay if I came up today and got baptized? I mean, like, they, we've been watching on, on live stream and we haven't been there yet, but we just like to get baptized. Can we come? That's never happened before. And it's happening on a fairly regular basis. And, and I just can't, I can't wait. This weekend was incredible. How many of you ladies were here this weekend? Any ladies in this service? It was an incredible weekend. And some of us guys got to crash the party to do things like fix toilets and that kind of stuff. It was, it was okay too, but, it was an incredible weekend. The ladies that, that were here, nearly 300 that were here and a lot watching online, incredible messages that were shared, incredible times of prayer. Uh, and the, the worship leader, oh my goodness, uh, she could sing. I mean, it was incredible, incredible, incredible weekend. And so I just love what God's doing. Um, and yet, driving in this morning, <clears throat> I was driving this morning and I got just this overwhelming, like, weird, almost like if I didn't think it was like God, I would have like turned around and gone to the hospital. Like this, this, this sense, this weird feeling all over me of thinking a year ago today, we were driving here and I was getting ready to speak and had no clue what was going to happen in the next seven days. And it, it, right now, just talking about it, it's kind of like I'm kind of like shaking a little bit. Uh, and, and it dawned on me a year ago today, how many people, how many people decided, oh, just, I'm going to sleep in today. We'll go next week. <laughs> we'll, we'll go next week. And we had no clue. And, and then I started, the further I drove, it was like, God was saying, you know, that happens every week. And it's happened every week since Jesus came back to be with me that people just kind of automatically thought, oh, next week or tomorrow or, or the next day or, or whatever and not knowing what's coming around the corner. And so I'm just like, let's go. I'm, I'm ready. I mean, the sun's shining and let's, let's just do this. God's doing incredible stuff. Uh, God's doing incredible stuff. You guys in this service, you ought to see what's happening at 10 o'clock. God's doing, God's doing incredible stuff. It's just, it's just packing out. And all that tells me is there is a longing in people's hearts right now for hope. Like never ever before, there's a longing in people's hearts for hope. They're coming out of the woodwork. They're just like showing up and, and it's incredible. It's incredible. And, and then I, then the last thing I want to say is 
Do you know what a month from today is? A month from today, we get to celebrate Easter. I I mean, we celebrated kind of, sort of last year, but it was different, wasn't it? It it was different. And and I just can't, I don't know what God's going to do. But so we, here's the deal for Easter. We've got our Good Friday service on Friday night, seven o'clock. We've added two Saturday services at 5.30 and at 7 o'clock. And then we've got our regular three on Sunday morning. Because our, our, our feeling is that there are going to be people that that's the day. That's the day that they're going to say, uh, enough's enough. I'm ready to, I'm ready to come. And, and so we want to make sure that we can still do it safe. And so to do it safe, we're going to have as many services as possible and encourage people to come. And so here's what that's. The last thing, I mean, I'm inviting you guys. I mean, I'm challenging you guys. Here's the deal for Easter. It ought to be the deal every day, but here's the deal for Easter. Bring one person. That's going to be, I'm just going to be preaching. Just one. We've been talking about who's your one, but for Easter, just one. Just one. Just one. Just get at least just one person. Get just one person to come and check out things on Easter. It may change their eternity. And so I, I'm, I'm excited about, about where God's going and what God's doing. And, uh, I just want to get on, get on board, get on the ride. All right. God, I just pray right now that you'll bless this, this teaching time. Um, God, we're going to deal with a subject today that you, you just stepped all over me as I've been thinking about and praying about and even late last night finishing up because it's it's an issue that if we're just really really honest with ourselves every one of us battles this marriage crasher and it crashes into not just our marriages it crashes into every relationship that we have to deal with and so God I pray that you'll teach us this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So in this, this marriage crashers deal that we've been doing, we've been using the traditional wedding vows kind of as an outline, as a framework. And we, we talked about, I take you and for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer and sickness and health uh, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And we said, we said that first week we said, I take you. That means I take all of you. That means I take everything. I take, I take the baggage. And we talked about how baggage is a, a real, a real wedding marriage crasher because we all bring this baggage. But as we've kind of said all through this series, a lot of this stuff applies to every relationship we ever have. You know, our personal baggage that we carry of things in the, in our life and in our past can affect any relationship. It can destroy any relationship. And it's especially true uh, of marriage. And then we talked about for better, for worse. And Kevin did a great job teaching us about conflict and how we got to deal with the, the the marriage crasher of conflict because we said for better for worse and that means sometimes it might be hard but we got to work through it and then last week we talked about for richer for poor and how sometimes we go into a marriage with such high expectations that nothing could live up to the hype of that but this morning the, the one that i think could be difficult for all of us is we're talking about in sickness and in health and sickness and in health you know we we all hope for health but but 
sometimes it, there's pain, right? Sometimes there's, there's disease. Sometimes there's anguish. Sometimes there's agony. And in those times, unselfish, unselfishness has to be our goal. Because one of the greatest marriage crashers, relationship crashers that I think we all deal with, that I know I deal with, and I have to fight against because it's the flesh is selfishness. It's all about me. And we live in an all about me kind of world. And so I I started digging through scripture and spent a lot of time this week and on the phone with Mark Jones and we were sharing ideas with each other about this, this message that we're both preaching today. And our goal for our messages is nearly always best to start with a passage of scripture from the Bible and then, and then work to teach out of what that says. It's almost never wise to decide what you want to say and then go looking for scripture to kind of back it up. Uh, far too much of that going on in the world. So we want the Bible to speak to us, not force the Bible to say what we want it to say. And so we were, th- we were sharing ideas and thinking what passage of scripture in the Bible addresses this idea of selfishness, especially in the marriage context. And there are verses about husbands and wives that deal specifically with taking care of each other in sickness and in health and facing illness together and even nursing each other back to health. And so he's thinking, what, well, what about Adam and Eve? <laughs> I mean, right from the very beginning. <laughs> so we were, we, were, we were kind of kidding and talking about you know, Adam and Eve. You know, it doesn't take very long. All of a sudden, Adam has surgery, right? <laughs> and he wakes up from surgery and he's got this beautiful nurse named Eve. I guess she was the nurse because she was the only other one there, you know. And so, you know, that God, you know, made her out of him. And so maybe we were thinking, you know, maybe she nursed him. But, but yeah, that was probably not the right illustration or the right biblical one. So he's okay, what's another one? What's another one? Abraham and Sarah. I mean, she was just there to care for him. God gave them a child in their old age. Abraham's a hundred. Sarah's ninety when Isaac's born. We know it was a miracle, but she gave birth when she was ninety. I'm guessing he had to show her a little bit of tender, loving care. Abraham did, and at least if he knew what was good for him, he did. But I'm not sure that's the that not the passage we want either. <laughs> then Mark reminded me of this this story in the book of Judges in chapter four. It's not actually a husband and wife. In, in fact, it, but it's a man and a woman. And and there's this guy named Sisera, and he's on the run. And and there's this lady named Jael, and she invites him. She brings him in to like care for him. She says, "Come here, hide in my tent." And like I said, they weren't husband and wife, but he came into her tent. She kind of gave him some warm milk and took care of you know took care of him, gave him his place, and tucked him into bed and kept watch over him and we thought that might speak to the subject and then we remembered yeah but when he fell asleep she drove a tent peg through his head because he was the enemy that's probably not the right story so let's go back to adam and eve for just a minute and and i want to show a couple verses but but in the old testament in in the book of genesis in chapter two it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I'll make him 
a suitable helper. I, I love the New, New Living Translation. It says, I'll make a helper who is just right for him. I love that. It's just right for him. And then it goes on and says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The two, the two will become one flesh. I want you to stop for just a minute, and I, w- I want to think about our bodies for just a minute. We, we had this amazing experience for, for the ladies that were here this weekend and getting to hear Jennifer Rothschild. She's an amazing woman uh, who, who speaks blind. She wasn't born that way. She had the ability to see perfectly until she was about 15. And she got a disease that attacked her redness. And slowly but surely, she went from legally blind to completely blind. Can't see at all. And yet God uses her. But here's the amazing thing that, that, that has happened with Jennifer and with a lot of people like that. If one part of the body stops to function or gets seriously hurt, the whole body goes on full alert. And your entire bodily body naturally supports and sympathizes with the part that's in pain. And in many cases, cases even compensates for those inadequacies of other body parts. People that lose their sight or they don't have sight have an incredible sense of smell or hearing. And it's compensating. And there's parts of our body that figure out how to do things so that we could... When my dad found out that he had heart blockages, they said they weren't going to do bypass. And the doctor explained to us and showed us how the heart was doing its own bypass. And that for every one of us, if we had enough time, if there was enough time, the heart would always, always do its own bypass if there's a clogged artery. That's how the problem is. Sometimes there's not enough time. But you think about that. Our bodies were created in such a way that when something stops working or something is hurting, that other parts take over. And the book of Genesis says that the husband and wife are joined together and the two become one flesh. Jesus agreed with that, talked about it in the book of Matthew, how a husband and wife become one flesh. The, the two become one. You know what that means? Husbands and wives? It means this. If you are one, it means when you hurt, your spouse hurts. Or that's the way it should be. And when your spouse hurts, you hurt. When one of you is down, the other one is supposed to help. It's an all-hands-on-deck kind of moment. Because that's how our fleshly bodies work. And God describes this initial, original marriage relationship of the two becoming one. It's the power of synergy. 
The power of synergy applies to marriage as well. You know, synergy is that, I looked it up in the dictionary, it says it's defined as the interaction or cooperation or, or of two or more agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate efforts. In the farming world, it's two big pull horses that can each pull a certain amount of weight. But when you lock them on together, they don't pull the combined weight. They pull more than the combined weight because it's the synergy of their forces working together. Think about that marriage. Think about that marriage. If we really come together and become one and work, think about how much we could accomplish The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes says that when two people strive together, they accomplish more and they keep each other warm. And when one falls down, the other one can help them up. And when it's a husband and wife, the two become one flesh and they help each other. Now, beyond kind of the mystical symbolism of two becoming one flesh, Paul said it this way in the book of Romans in chapter 15. He said, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Let me stop right there. I don't believe that Paul was talking only about physical strength. Only about physical strength. I think it's much deeper than that. Now, our world is trying to say now that men and women should be the same. Guys, I don't know if you've checked it out, but we are not the same. We are not the same in how we were created. We're not the same on the inside. And at the end of the day, in almost every scenario, men are physically stronger than women. And by the same token, in almost every scenario, women are internally stronger than men. They've learned how to do things. And so when the two come together... When the two come together, now you've got a force to be reckoned with in our world. And Paul said, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor, for this is good to build him up. Now think about that. If you're married, who's your closest neighbor? And we should build them up. We should build them up for their good. And then Paul wrote to the Philippians. And once you look in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Because each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now, what it doesn't say is your interests are not important because they are. That's not what he said. But he says you should look not only to your own interests. He didn't say stop looking to your own interests. He just said look not only to your own but to the interest of others. He says you don't have to stop looking out for yourself. You've got to look out for others as well because... For our purposes, we've got to take care of our spouse, especially when they're down, especially when they're down. Now, 
We'll talk about it a little bit more as we, as we go. But it becomes somewhat obvious. It becomes somewhat obvious of how we care for, for our spouse or anybody that we love when they're physically down. When they're physically, when they can't do, and we step up and, and we do for them, we help them through surgeries or whatever the case may be. But it's in everything. When our spouse is down, we got to help. See, selfishness is the default response. I'm too busy. I, I got stuff to do. Don't you know I got a job? I got this. I got that. I got my own needs. I got... Selfishness is a default response. But unselfishness, that's a mandate from God. And so we've got to work hard to keep selfishness from crashing our marriages. I heard a story about a man and a wife. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're sitting in the corner booth in a really nice five-star restaurant. <clears throat> They're celebrating their... 50th wedding anniversary they're both uh, 70 years old and they're just sitting there just enjoying being together and suddenly an angel appears at their table and the angel begins by congratulating them and telling them how awesome it is that they've been together for 50 years and then he says this he says god sent me god sent me to grant each one of you a wish for your 50th anniversary so what would it be? Well, the wife spoke up really quickly. She said, I want to travel around the world with, with my husband, with the love of my life. Poof. Right there it was. Two tickets appear on the table for a luxury liner so they could cruise around the world together. And the angel turns to the husband and says, what would you like? He wasn't as quick with his response. We seldom are. He said, you know, since this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, I, I really like to have a wife that's 20 years younger than me. And poof! Suddenly he was 90 years old. <laughs> Be very careful what you wish for. See, far too many times, not just in marriage, we do it in everything, we do it in everything because our world teaches us to do it. In this world of consumerism and materialism and all the other isms that there are, in this world we all are somewhat guilty of thinking, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? See, marriage was never designed to meet all your needs. We were talking about last week, oftentimes there's certain expectations that we take in. And if your spouse doesn't meet our expectations, your expectations or needs, you get frustrated and dis- disillusioned and sometimes end up walking out of that situation. Remember in our previous series, uh, I was reminded of the, the John F. Kennedy quote from early in his presidency, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country? What would happen? What would happen if we took that quote from JFK? What would happen if we took it and applied it to our marriages? If we took it and applied it to our marriage, it would look something like this. Ask not what your spouse could do for you. Ask what you could do for your spouse. Now, think about that. That's not just a changing of one word in two places. That's an attitudinal shift. 
that is countercultural, but think what it just might do. Think what it just might do, especially in a younger generation that just kind of raised up more so than maybe some of us. That was all about me kind of world. What if all of a sudden, what can I do for my spouse? What can I do to, to show my love? When we take that approach for each other, marriage becomes this incredible relationship. But, we, but because we are all selfish by nature, we're really quick to flip the switch and go back to default mode. And default mode looks to draw from the marriage, withdraw from the marriage, and to focus on what marriage can do for me. Now, sometimes, sometimes we mask it. And we make really, what we think are, oh, this is, this is a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing to say. But it's really an unhealthy statement. For example, <clears throat> occasionally I'll hear a person referring to their spouse or the person they're about to marriage and say something like, I'll say, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. That sounds really good on the surface. And it's probably true. But you've already gone back to default mode because it's all about me she's the best thing that ever happened to me to me he's looking at marriage from a perspective of what marriage can do for him or, or maybe the shoes on the other foot and you hear a, a woman or a, a, the, the the young lady or say something like i couldn't live without him or he makes me whole and that sounds beautiful in a movie But that's not God's design. Because if it takes another person to make me whole, then what happens when they don't measure up? That means you're half. That means you're less than what God intended you to be. And couched in these statements is a selfish way of looking at marriage. Instead of that, here's an idea. Here's what God, how God wants us to view marriage as an opportunity to build into the life of our spouse. What if it looked like these three things? What, what if marriage, we understood that marriage is not for taking, but it's for giving? What if we could see that marriage is an opportunity, an opportunity, a chance to be there for the other person? What if we understood that marriage is the best place to demonstrate a selfless spirit? And we understood. It's, it's not about me. Now, <laughs> I realize probably at this point, some of you might be thinking right now, man, I really wish my spouse was here. Or I hope they're watching. I, I hope they're seeing this. Well, let me just stop for a minute and say, I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking to you. Because that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. We tell our addicts when they say, you know, okay, you, I'm just going to do something else. I'm going to go some other place. So wherever you go, there you are. And, and so as long as we are casting blame in another direction or saying, man, I hope they hear this, we're probably the ones that need to hear it the most. So what do we do? What's the basis for putting others' interest above our own? Or in the context of marriage, why, why should I look at my role to serve and to please my spouse? Because it's what Jesus did for us. 
And it's what Paul said on down in, in that passage that followed right after. He said, don't have any vain conceit. He said, here's what you should do. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider that equality with God something to be grasped and held on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his place in heaven. He took a humble position as a slave and was born as a human being and came here. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. That's our attitude. But here's, here's why we struggle with it. Here's why we struggle and it crashes our marriage. Because it goes against the grain. All of this goes against the grain. It's not natural. It's not cultural. But some of you, some of you in here could very much say amen to that last statement. When it works, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Isn't it? God says, this is the way. So let's get really practical for the last few minutes and we'll be done. We're, we're talking about standing in the gap of being there for our spouse. And, and like we said, we took our vows. We said in sickness and in health. So how do we do that? How do you make a practice of a lifestyle or a lifestyle in your marriage so that you don't just go back into this default mode of it's all about me? Let me give you some really intentional steps, okay? Step one, make sure that you do it in the little things. Make sure that you do it in the little things. And here's what I mean by that. Make a habit, make a habit uh, to find a little thing once or twice a week where you can help your spouse out. Now, I'm going to give some examples, and some of them I'll give multiple times. That may or may not be a hint. But it could be things like scrubbing the bathroom, cleaning around the toilet, doing the dishes, washing the car, taking the kids to the park, just whatever it is to help out. Maybe it's much simpler than that. Maybe it's just what you say. Maybe it's offering words of encouragement. Maybe it's going back to kindergarten and learning those phrases, please and thank you. And just the little things that says, I care. I care about you. I, I want to be here for you. It's not about me. I want to be the most unselfish partner that I can possibly be. Because it's not always the big things. Sometimes it's the little things. Maybe, maybe you stop doing some things. Maybe... Maybe you stop being so demanding. And that shoe fits on both feet. Maybe you stop complaining. You know, sometimes we complain without saying anything. We realize that, right? And all married, all married people say, yeah, amen, I get that, right? Because we know the look, right? And it goes both ways. And the wives know the husband's look, and he knows the wife's look. And, and sometimes we complain without ever saying a word. Maybe we just stop that. Maybe we stop waiting to be served. So here's my encouragement. Get really intentional on the little things. Get creative on what you can do for your spouse, for him or for her. 
Really think about that. Here's the second thing that we need to be intentional about. This is bigger. Sometimes it's in the big things. Uh, Once in a while, something significant comes along that completely changes this course of life, no matter how much you've got left together. Maybe it's a health issue, a season of life, a major career change, a project at work, just there is something huge. And let's face it, these things can wreck a marriage if we're not careful. There are times in life, though, it's in these times in life when we really, really, really need each other. There was a a mentor to a lot of us preachers the generation ahead of us, a guy named Russ Blowers. He preached in Indianapolis at the East 91st Street Christian Church. It was a, it was a great church leader, a great preacher, very mission-minded. That church has just had a, had a great mission emphasis around the world. And he was there for years and years and years with his wonderful wife, Miriam. They raised their kids. Some of their kids went in ministry. And, and then shortly after Russ retired... Miriam got dementia and progressed to full-blown Alzheimer's. And before she passed, there were stories of how Russ finally, finally got to the point that she had to go into assisted living. But he was there every day. Every day. In the early days, he was there helping, laughing, playing games, trying to keep her, you know, focused and slow the pace of the disease. And in the end, when she knew nothing, and especially did not know him, or if he was there or not, he showed up every day from dawn till dusk and held her hand. And held her hand. That's in sickness and in health. Kim and I got to witness that nearly 25 years ago when Kim's mom got cancer. Kim's mom and dad were married for 45 years, and I was one of the lucky ones. I love my father-in-law. I love to hang out with my father-in-law. He's one of the funniest men I ever met in my life. And we got to go to softball games together and play golf together and sit in the living room and watch sports together. And it was just like, you know, a perfect father-in-law for me. But when I'm completely honest, Bill was one of the most selfish men I'd ever met in my life. I never saw him get up to help carry the groceries in. He never mowed the grass. He teased about it sometimes. He just... That was just who he was, and it was fun, but it was not much of a helper. And then we found out Kim's mom had cancer. We were four hours away, and we were panicked, and none of the kids lived close to home, and and we didn't know what we were going to do. Who's going to take care of Ann? We we couldn't, in our wildest dreams, imagine who was going to take care of Ann? And we were making plans on not only how she was going to drive back and forth, but was, was she for a season going to have to move back to Tennessee to take care of her mom? 
But for 18 months, my father-in-law stepped up like no man I've ever seen. And he went from being one of my best friends to being my hero. Because for 18 months, something took over his body. And it would be humanly impossible for a man to care for his wife any more than he did during those last 18 months. He cooked for her, he cleaned for her, he got her to every doctor's appointment. He did everything that we couldn't imagine him doing. And he didn't just do it, he was awesome at doing it. And for many years since then, and I asked Kim's permission to tell this story because she'll be here next hour and it's going to be hard and, and Evan will be here and, it, and we watched it and it was hard, but it was amazing. And we've talked about for many times since then, what a blessing it was that Ann passed away first. Because if she hadn't passed away first, she may have left this planet never knowing how much Bill loved her. Because of the way he stepped up at the end. And so sometimes we've got to be ready to be intentional in those big things. And to step up. But my encouragement is not to wait for a time of crisis to inject unselfishness into your marriage. i got to keep going. We're about done. It's the little things. It's the big things. It's in the plan things. The whole idea of being there for your spouse, putting their interest above your own, is something that we can all do intentionally. So once again, here's the challenge. Once again, I've said it before. All of us who are married today, we know a way that we can intentionally serve our spouse. We know it already. If you've been married more than a week, you know what it is. So be intentional about it. Stand in the gap for them right now. And and so my challenge for you is to do that now. Come up with one way this week that you can stand in the gap and plan it. Maybe it's something little like washing the dishes or doing something special for him or her. Maybe it's planning something big and doing something that says, I know that you love this several years ago i think it was for our 25th anniversary kim knows how much i love baseball and without me knowing anything about it she planned a trip to birmingham alabama it was the 100 year anniversary of the birmingham barons which was a minor league team, mainly African-American team, but it was one of the oldest teams, and they still played games in this old wooden stadium in Birmingham, Alabama. And so that was the gift. I got to be there for that anniversary game. They played in the old wool outfits. It was about a million degrees. I thought those guys have to be dying out there, but it was the coolest thing But it was something she planned because she knew it was important to me. Can you imagine what would happen if we all went out of here today and asked our spouse, what's one thing I could do for you? Something you've always wanted to do? How could I encourage you? And we plan to do that. And the last thing is just do it sometimes, not in the little things, not the big things, not the planned things, just in the really spontaneous things. Just, just... Do something crazy. Do something spontaneous. 
Do something that you know will encourage them, make their life easier. Uh, something that you wouldn't expect from, that they wouldn't expect from you to do it because you just want to serve your spouse and let them know how special they are. What if we got out of the routine and just look for opportunities to serve? Because God's asking you to do that. That's his design. Guys, the bottom line is this. Nowhere in any of this do I, or more importantly, God, want you to stop thinking highly of who you are. He's not asking us to stop thinking highly of ourselves. In fact, he said that you should love one another as you love yourself. You got to have a good feeling because who made you? God made you. So he's not asking us to stop thinking highly of who we are in his eyes. Just start thinking of others the same way. And start with your spouse. It's easy in health. It's the in sickness. And I'm not talking just physical sickness. That we need to step up and crush this crasher of selfishness. And so the easiest way I can state the bottom line today is this. When your spouse is down, you step up. When your spouse is down, you step up. And to know that the greatest example of that was not in a marriage relationship, but it was when we were destined to eternal death. And Jesus stepped up and went to the cross in our place. And that model should carry throughout the rest of our life. God, I just pray that your spirit changes us, that it softens us, that it breaks us, and that we are willing to go against the, the flow of culture, to be countercultural, and to actually live like you ask us to live. And there's no better place to start doing that than at home. So God, I pray that a wave of love will crash crash upon us and amongst us. A, a wave of your reckless love and that we can ride the wave and not be crushed by it. And God, that starts with making Jesus Christ Lord of our life. And so it's in his name that we pray that you would do all things. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? And if you want to talk to someone about making Jesus Lord of your life, Jason's down here. I would gladly uh, talk to you, hook you up. Bradley's down here as well. we got some folks that uh, could, could actually you know, talk to you about what that looks like. Uh, you could be part of the next wave of people, the next 40 people that make a decision for Christ this year. Um, maybe the decision you need to make is just right where you're at and say, I'm going to get things right at my house. Why don't you do that while we sing?
do things different this week. If you're here today for the first time, uh, man, we are so thrilled that you gave us a chance and came and worshiped with us. Uh, out in the lobby, there's a wall that says, I'm new, and we've got a special gift for you out there. Stop by there. They love to talk to you. If you've been here a while and you're trying to figure out what's my next step, what I need to do, uh, then there's a next step room back there, and there's a team of people that can help you figure out that, tell you about pathways and stuff like that. Uh, if you haven't already done so, remember the offering boxes around the walls. You guys have been doing great uh, with that. Let me tell you a couple things about the next two weeks real quickly. Next Sunday, March 14th, um, will be Kevin and Stacy's last Sunday with us. And so after the services out in the lobby, we'll just have a time that they'll be out there and you can just love on them a little bit. We'll have a basket that you can bring cards uh, and just cards of thanks, gift cards, whatever you want to put in that, uh, that will be for them. And we'll do some special things uh, for them next week. We'll also be uh, in our third service next week, commissioning our student team that's getting ready to go to Guatemala uh, and just praying over them um, because then the next weekend they're going to watch their, they're going to be really kind of like almost quarantined completely uh, so that they make sure they're healthy when they go to Guatemala. So we'll do their commissioning next week. And then on March 21st, uh, we've got a special day uh, on that day. That night we'll be doing a night of worship. Uh, right in here and those are always fun and awesome as part of that night of worship we'll be ordaining uh, Luke Dove who's getting ready to go to Guatemala full-time as a missionary from our church uh, and then we'll be ordaining uh, uh, Bradley and Ethan and Tiffany uh, part of our a younger part of our staff and get them ordained in the ministry as part of our night of worship so that'll be really special on Sunday night March 21st and and then Easter a month from now Remember, just one. You get just one. And let's go change the world. We'll see you guys next Sunday, okay?